David Tubridge. We talk New South Wales state politics. David, good morning to you, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks, Marcus. Last week of uh, Parliament sitting for New South Wales Parliament, so, you know, the, the light's at the end of the tunnel, Marcus. Last week, hey? Uh, are you, is, an ex, is it an extended week this week through till Friday as well, or will Thursday do it? <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to take it through to Friday. The, uh, you, may not, you, you may recall the government decided to shut Parliament down for a whole bunch of months in the middle of the year. Of course, we yes. We are digesting that um, big sort of, um, that big chunk of legislation, both, mm work from private members and work from the government this week. So uh, probably a few midnight finishes. Maybe that's not the best time to be legislating. I think it would be... But, but um, yeah, but the last week of sittings will be fairly intense. All right, you're chairing a hearing of the Public Accountability Committee today into private certifiers and the collapse in building standards. Now, for months, the government has been running an audit on the 11 most problematic private certifiers in the 70 major residential apartment blocks they're working on, but so far, no results, David. Yeah, so frustrating. I mean, with private certifiers, there's this obvious conflict. You know, private certifiers are chosen by the developer. They're paid for by the developer. Often, some of the dodgy developers have long-term financial relationships with the same quite dodgy um, private certifiers and that means building after building after building is built signed off you know as safe but then when the poor old resident moves in and actually starts occupying it you know the waterproofing doesn't work there are cracks in the basement and tens of thousands of dollars worth of defects later yeah um and as we know the developer heads off with the profits puts that company into liquidation and and they're left holding the baby and so there's been an audit going for months, at least four or five months, on these the, just the 11 most problematic of the private certifiers mm. and no results. I mean, it seems to me the obvious reform we need in this space is not another audit, not another report. What we want to be doing with this hearing today is pushing the government and pushing Labor towards major reform, which means no more private certifiers. Let's build a proper building commission in New South Wales. It's a publicly paid building inspectors put them on the beat and make sure homes are safe. Well, that's right. I mean, private certifiers are chosen and paid for by developers. And while some may have very high standards, probably the majority of them do, of course, there are some issues. We've seen it uh, on a number of areas. We've got mascot towers. We've had uh, towers out there in in uh, the Olympic precincts with the Opal building and all the rest of it. Uh, I mean, what we do need probably is to fully resource a building commission with a set of public building inspectors put on the beat, paid for by the government and responsible to the government. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I've got actually time for the building commission, David mm-hmm. Chandler. Yeah. He's out there, he's energetic, he's trying to do the right thing. Like, he commenced this audit, but there's only one of him, like just one building commissioner. In, in Victoria and Queensland, they have building commissions with hundreds and hundreds of employees out yeah. trying to improve standards. Now, it's not perfect in either of those jurisdictions, but it's a bloody sight better than New South Wales. So, yeah, I've got time for David Chandler, but yeah. we don't need a building commissioner. We need a building commission, and that's what the government is refusing to do because that will really take on the property industry. And, of course, as you know, governments in New South Wales tend to be owned by the property industry. All right. Tell me about this cladding issue um, that you're looking at, the use of a very dangerous form of alu- um, aluminium or aluminium, however you want to say it, aluminium cladding. It's Monday. <laughs> it's being used for thousands of buildings across the country. It's 
it's got this thin layer of cladding separated from the wall of the building by a few centimetres to allow the building, if you like, to breathe and stop moisture building up behind the cladding. It's needed because aluminium is a very bad insulator and the rapid heating and cooling causes moisture to build up behind it. But it's also creating this chimney effect where if there is a fire, it means it's very dangerous because it'll rapidly spread across the whole of the building because there's air in there. Yeah, it's it's um it's extraordinary. You you think about the Grenfell Tower disaster we had now four and a half years ago in in the UK. That was about a type of cladding which had a thin layer of aluminium, then a bunch of polystyrene in the middle, then another thin layer of aluminium. Turns out that that is a real fire danger. The the the, the polystyrene in the middle catches fire and the, the the whole thing goes up. So in response to that, the government has said to um to most new buildings and to people repairing their buildings, I'll oh, just put plain aluminium up. But aluminium is a terrible insulator. When it gets hot, it heats up in a second. As soon as it cools down, it cools down rapidly. That means you get all this moisture building up on the inside of aluminium cladding. And to get rid of the moisture, they leave this gap between the cladding and the wall. The problem is, if you go to the bottom of, a, say, a 15-storey apartment block that's got this aluminium cladding, and you look up from the very bottom, there's this whole chimney that goes all the way from the bottom to the top. Yeah. And what that means is if a fire starts anywhere on the, the face of the building, that chimney just sucks the flames up and spreads the flames all across the face of the building. That, that aluminium cladding then starts melting and falling off and, and it creates this major fire hazard. Now, the government's known about this for years. They've got their own report into it and they can see how dangerous it is. And when the government does its own remediation... It refuses to allow this being done on when they remediate government buildings or when they use their project remediate. But meanwhile, it's the standard form of cladding being rolled out all across the country. I mean, you, mm. you can't make this stuff up, Marcus. It's just like, and there's, there's the next cladding disaster waiting to happen. Well, all of this will have to be remediated again in a few years' time. Who will end up paying the cost of that? Well, again. yeah. Well, Absolutely, as they always seem to do. All right, a couple of other issues here. Uh, the Coalition plans to wind back workers' compensation protections for frontline workers who catch COVID. Um, you've stalled those for the moment by referring it to a committee over summer. Tell me about this. Yeah, well, as you know, um, particularly last year, but also this year, frontline workers, nurses and others, um, have the highest risk of getting COVID because, you know, they're forced to have a lot of front-facing work. Nurses in hospitals, for example, forced to, you know, go and treat COVID patients. Have, I mean, I hope we don't have another surge in COVID, but we may have another surge in COVID. And we're going to be asking those people, frontline workers again, to be out there, you know, stacking our grocery shelves, keeping our city running. Absolutely. Um, staff in our hospitals, teachers going to school with kids who aren't vaccinated. We're going to be asking those frontline workers to be out there putting themselves at risk for all of us. Mm. And they need to know that if they catch COVID, they're going to be protected. Now, we put laws through last year that said if you're a frontline worker and you get COVID, you'll be protected and you'll be covered by workers' comp. Um, and normally it's for like three weeks of, of workers' comp that they'll be paid. If, if they've been vaccinated, they go off for a few weeks, you know, and then hopefully they come back to work. But you see, if, if you're a teacher, how do you prove you got COVID at work as opposed to catching the train to and from work or out on the weekend shopping for groceries. It's next to impossible. Yeah. So we changed the law last year to say, if you're a frontline worker and you catch COVID, you'll be protected. Hmm. The government now has a bunch of dodgy figures, really dodgy figures, saying that that reform is going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, they're using that as an excuse to pump up workers' comp premiums. But as you know, 
they have completely failed with ICARE, the workers' comp insurer. They've stuffed it up totally. Nobody trusts these government figures. And they were trying to use these dodgy figures to say, oh, well, we can't afford this reform. We have to take the protections away from frontline workers. Well, thankfully, we've kicked that off to an inquiry. We will interrogate the government's numbers and we'll be doing everything we can to keep those protections for frontline workers um, in, a, in a hearing over the summer. Speaking of protection for workers, uh, you finally got the modern slavery laws through Parliament last week. They will finally be in force on the 1st of January 2022, but three years too late, you say. Yeah, well, look, you know, I don't have a lot of time for the Christian Democratic Party, um, the party that has Fred Nile in it, and it used to have an MP called Paul Green in it. You know, we disagree on a lot of politics, but in 2018... To give him credit, Paul Green, the um, now ex-Christian uh, Democratic um, a politician, sure. managed to, to get some modern slavery laws through the New South Wales Upper House. I voted for them. We improved them a bit, but they were good. And what they do is they remove mo- any kind of modern slavery from the supply chain of the government. And he also applied it to corporations that had a turnover of greater, greater than $50 million. Because there's about 40 million people around the planet in slave-like conditions, producing textiles and other products. And what this law says is major corporations and, and governments need to actually check their supply chain to make sure there's no modern slavery in it. Really good reform. Yeah. But then Premier Berejiklian took it downstairs and says, this is great, put it through Parliament. And then they sat on it for three years and refused to put it in force. Well, uh, long story short, there's been a big arm wrestle over it. Um, last week, we negotiated a final set of packages to finally get something in force. And, and now we finally have modern slavery laws that cover all of the procurement for New South Wales government and all of the local councils in New South Wales. It's a, it's a major step forward. We've got an anti-slavery commission starting on, on the 1st of January. It's actually good news, Marcus. All right, mate. Uh, look, um, one emailer, uh, in fact, and a caller as well, um, wants, uh, wants you to delve into the debacle that is transport for New South Wales. Um, of course, yesterday we had another issue with one of those ferries not being able to travel um, out to uh, out via the heads to, to Manly. We've got problems, of course, uh, with uh, the, the non-operation of the trams in uh, in the inner city uh, from Dulwich Hill to Central. I mean, what's going on here? Well, we have this um, disaster of uh, procurement where the state government over the last decade has just been looking for the cheapest possible product, the cheapest possible tram, the cheapest possible ferry, and um, um, a lot of those, pretty much all of them, have been a sort of global effort to get the lowest cost ferry, the lowest cost tram. So I think we've got Spanish trams and Indonesian ferries. And, um, and, and, and a lot of those have not been fit for purpose. They haven't been built for Australian conditions. And we're seeing that play out now. So I can tell your listeners and, um, and those contacting you, Marcus, this is on our agenda. Um, we're looking to get... There's another committee called the Public Works Committee, um, which I think should do a bit more work. So I've been trying to encourage that committee to, um, and I think it should step up and do a thorough investigation um, of all of these procurements yeah. and make sure that, that the test isn't just the cheapest purchase. Sure. The test should be how do we build stuff in Australia built for Australian standards, built for Australian conditions that is going to actually last and be fit for purpose. And, and we should be interrogating these series of disastrous contracts that the Coalition has uh, signed up for.
All right, David, always good to have you on the program. We'll catch up again next week. Uh, a busy week ahead for you. Uh, well, I'll be watching. Don't worry about that. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, Michael. <Marcus. laughs> All right. Bye. New South Wales politics with David Shoebridge every Monday.